Good morning. Please open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. That's where we're going to be today, verses 12 and 13. And we're going to be looking at a very often misunderstood and misapplied passage of Scripture that is rooted very solidly in the glory of Christ. And it's focused very intently on growing in Christ. Really, the main idea of the passage we're going to look at today is about how growth in Christ comes about, how it happens. It's a call to action, and it is a word of assurance concerning sanctification, the idea of pursuing God-given holiness. So if you would, please stand with me. I'm going to read verses 12 and 13 of Philippians chapter 2. This is the word of God. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and and trembling for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure Lord God we we come to you now and we we ask that as we contemplate your word Lord as we sit here under you may we behold more of your Wonder and your beauty, your awesome redemptive work in Christ, so that our love for you would increase, that our faith would deepen, that we would see more gospel beauty and worship you more for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. There is a really good question, really a great question on the minds of many Christians. And the question is, how can I grow in Christ? It's a great question. And the biggest part of that question is really the question we're going to address today. What's God's part and what's my part in growth in Christ? I think a lot of Christians wonder... Maybe not, how can I grow, but will I ever start growing? When will I start seeing some progress? Growing up, I was a relatively small child. And I would ask my parents, when am I going to get taller? When am I going to start growing? And even though they knew everything, they didn't know the answer to that question. And round about age 12 or 13, I started getting really, you know, more concerned about this, and they didn't know the answer, but they pointed me to weightlifting and protein shakes. <laughs> Nothing worked. And then the year that I was going into the 10th grade, something happened. I got a growth spurt, and I showed up to school that fall five or six inches taller than I was before. My classmates are like, who is this guy? Who's the new guy? What I found in growing as a Christian is that it isn't usually a huge growth spurt, but it's, it's, it's a process over time, and it's slow, steady growth, and sometimes almost imperceptible. You can't tell it's even happening until you go back later. And look back over time. Do you remember those doorpost growth charts where you would mark how tall you were on the doorpost of your house, maybe with a pencil or a pen? And you know, every few months you'd stand up as straight as you could and hope you would pass someone in your family, right? It's all about winning. Seriously, though, this slow, steady growth. Your parents didn't measure you every single day. 
It was maybe every few months or every six months or so, or maybe once a year. I think maybe the toughest question when it comes to growing in Christ is this question of what's God's part, what's my part. And this is where a lot of Christians get off base or a lot of teaching goes wrong. What's God's part in sanctification? What's my part in sanctification? And I think probably the clearest and the best and the simplest answer to that question occurs in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. And it's probably one of the most misunderstood passages when it comes to sanctification. Paul begins by saying, Therefore, my beloved. He loves the people he's writing to. He, he's endeared to them. And he, he, he knows they have a reputation for obedience to God. So he says, you've always obeyed, but now, not just when I'm there, but when I'm not there. He's writing from prison in Rome. And he's writing to them with a gratitude in his heart. The, the tone of this letter is, is laced with joy and thankfulness. And for the most part, these, gro- these believers were growing very appropriately. They had this reputation for good works and It was an outflow of their faith in Christ. They had sent Paul a generous gift while he was in prison in Rome. But they had problems like every church does. And there were people within the church that were, as Paul put it, enemies of the cross of Christ. But Paul reminded them, I think it was so that they wouldn't be led astray, he reminded them of what was going on in their hearts and lives in this process of growth in Christ and what they needed to pursue continually what they continually needed to pursue he's telling them you belong to God he's at work in you he begins this letter in verse 6 he says he who began a good work in you he says I am confident of this I am sure of this he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus God's at work in you he's going to bring this work to its, to its final conclusion. And I think this was the word they needed as they were going to deal with the inevitable questions and doubts that all believers have arise in their hearts at one time or another. We have doubts and we have questions regarding Christian growth. And sometimes you don't mention it. You don't want to say anything. You don't want anyone to think you're confused. You don't want anyone to think that you're not growing. You don't want anyone to think that you are somehow not progressing in Christ-likeness. So you keep it to yourself and you might encounter fear or doubt. You might say, what if I'm a Christian, but I'm not making progress? Nobody ever knows I'm a believer and am I really a Christian? You might even ask, what if I go through an extended period of no growth? What does that mean about me? And can a true believer not grow? And then on the other end of the spectrum, someone may even say, well, look, if I'm going to heaven anyway, what does it matter if I grow in Christ? It's going to hang on for dear dear life and uh, hopefully get to heaven at the end. Now, I, I think there's some people who think they have it wired when it comes to sanctification and growing in Christ. And I think... Others don't have a clue. And I've found that most people are humbly looking for someone to guide them. They want help from someone who's been there. Someone who's been on the trail. They're a little bit farther down the road. Just yesterday I was uh, hiking in the hills of Santiago Oaks Park with my dog Leela. And some people came up to me and they asked me, Are you an expert on these trails? I said, no, I'm not an expert on the trails. Well, I was wearing this belt that had like these two water bottles on it. (laughs) I just got it at a garage sale like a week ago. And uh, brand new, by the way, never been used. It was awesome. Two water bottles. And I'm sure they saw that and went expert. But they said, are you an expert? I said, no, I'm not an expert. I live around here. I am on the trails two or three days a week, though. They're like, you're an expert. (laughs) Compared to those first-time visitors we just talked to. See, I think we we need guides who have more experience, who who can speak to our situation because they've been there. 
Those are the people that have helped me the most in my life as a believer. Are the people that have walked the path before me, they're a bit further down the road, and they're, they're, they're fellow travelers. They're, they're just trusting the mercy and grace of Jesus, but they can speak to my situation because they've been there. And so I think that Paul is a great mentor and, and guide for us as it relates to this topic because when it comes to growing in Christ, he lived it. But he also lived, before coming to know Christ, a system of what he thought was spiritual growth that wasn't conducive to real spiritual growth. See, he had thought he had it all figured out. He's a Pharisee. He's got all these rules and regulations he's keeping. And it literally took God to knock him off his high horse on the road to Damascus to blind him, to humble him, to save him, to appoint him. In fact, when God is talking to Ananias and telling him about Saul and how he was going to go and help him regain his sight, he said, you go. doesn't matter what you think about this man and how you think he's against you still. You go because he's a chosen instrument of mine. That's what God is saying about you when you come to faith in Christ. doesn't matter what you're former life was like you come to faith in christ you are a chosen instrument of god for righteous purposes even though you might not feel righteous i don't know many christians who walk around going you know i'm feeling really righteous today wow i'm real sanctified today no you're prideful (laughs) it's interesting that paul's man-made pharisaical system of righteousness completely was blown to smithereens in the presence of Jesus Christ whether we'd like to admit it or not uh, every Christian and every church has some sort of system of sanctification that they hold to you walked in the door with one today if you're a believer. You say, you know what? This is how you grow in Christ. In fact, if someone comes up and wants me to talk to them about it, here's what I would tell them. If they want to meet with me on an ongoing basis, here's what I'm going to give them. So we all have some sort of system of sanctification, some idea of the process of Christian growth in our minds. And as churches, we communicate that either formally or informally. Every church. There is either a direct or an implied message. This is how you grow. This is what you need to do. And and these systems, for the most part, are made up of internal attitudes and external actions and, for the most part, have a biblical basis. But every one of them, at some point, goes off base. And what happens is we start gauging our spiritual health by these systems instead of by the word of God. And we, we become very prone to compare ourselves to other people. You say, well, I'm doing great. Look at them. Well, you're pointing people out that, to compare yourself to that aren't that into Jesus. Well, yeah, they're professing to be believers, but they're not that into Jesus. So you compare yourself with them, you're going to look really great. What happens is a lot of cultural Christian standards get mixed in with biblical ones. And we might even set unrealistically high goals. All about expectations, about meeting quotas for Bible reading and prayer and sharing your faith. And we can get very legalistic and we can even come up with pious-sounding guilt trips. Here's one. Are you willing to do for the truth? what others are willing to do for a lie? Or how about this? If Jesus could hang on the cross for you, can you pray for three hours straight? Some people need to calm down. I think a very pertinent question for us today is what is God's role and what is mine in sanctification? Sanctification would be synonymous with growth in Christ, becoming more like Christ, being conformed to the image of Christ, having your inward character reflect God's character. It explains the good effects of the grace of God in a person's life. 
is related to holiness. The word for sanctification occurs only eight times in the New Testament, but it is alluded to countless times, and it is related. It comes from the same word, root word, from holy. So the idea of of growing, being set apart, being consecrated, uh, being conformed to Christ's image, being holy. These are the these are the uh, ideas we talk about sanctification. A very simple way to put it is God at work in the life of a believer to make them more like Christ. Now there are two common errors that I want to that I want to point out before we really zero in on these verses, and they represent extreme positions. And don't we love our extreme positions? First is the idea of thinking that we do nothing at all to contribute to our growth in Christ. That God does it all. That I would call this passive robotic growth. Automated growth. It's done to you, and you are passive in it. Now the second error, extreme position, would be this. Thinking that you do everything as it pertains to sanctification. It's the just do it mentality. You make it happen. It depends on you. You are the sole actor. Now, you might not know them by names. I kind of gave you them. Here's one passive robotic growth and just do it mentality. But for the sake of the explanation, there's old school names that are attached to this. Uh, The first would be quietism. The second would be pietism. Quietism and pietism. On the one side, you've got quietism, which says you are very passive in your sanctification. You do nothing but receive it. God does it all. You put forth no effort. You just yield. You just surrender. You die to yourself. Christ replaces you with him. He fills you with himself. And the far extremes of this view is that it says there's no more temptation for the believer because Christ blocks it before it gets to you. Wouldn't that be nice? It happens to you. It depends on, on Jesus, not, no will of your own. But the quandary is, if you sin, whose fault is it? If it's all God doing it and, and you sin, whose fault is it? Well, the answer is, well, you took yourself off the altar. A very mystical view. It's the potter and the clay idea where God is the potter, we are the clay, and the potter is working on the clay. And as we all know, clay, except for Gumby and Pokey, don't move around, Right? All right. So the clay is sitting there on the wheel. Okay, no part in the process, just being molded. Oh, but then sin happens. The clay jumps off the wheel. You see how it breaks down? Clay is moving off the wheel, right? Okay. Now, the other end of the spectrum is what has been called pietism, where you are very active in your sanctification through Bible reading, prayer, practical living, and all progress depends on you. It can lead to pride if you succeed. It can lead to despair if you fail. So which is it? Trust or obey? Which is it? Is it all of him? Or is it all of me? This is a mystery, right? Sanctification, spiritual growth, spiritual progress. And, and I will say this before we, before we get to these verses. We're going to look right now at these verses. With every biblical teaching, with every biblical doctrine... There is an apparent paradox that cannot be fully resolved in the human mind. So let's look at verse 12. Let's see what Paul was. Was he a quietist or a pietist? Okay? So we'll look at verse 12. It says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So it sounds like he's a just do it pietist, right? Then you go to verse 13. Well, then he says, it is God who works in you to will and do his good pleasure. Well, it sounds like he's a passive robotic growth automated quietist. But what he's revealing to us is it is both at the same time. God's role and our role. God's role is working in us to will and do his good pleasure. He is always sovereign, always in control, always God. Okay? I think that'll be up on the screen in a moment here. But basically, verse 13 tells us it's God's role is working in. But the believer's role in verse 12 says we are to work out our salvation. So we are working out what God put in. So we're going to look at it in the order it shows up in these verses. 
first of all, the believer's role of working out. So look at verse 12, okay? The word for work out, I'll give you the Greek word. It doesn't really going to make a big difference here, but katergazomai. Wow. No, here's what it means. Work. Perform. Produce. So work out your salvation. So you're, you're performing something. You're producing something, right? The idea is Christ worked for your salvation and secured it at the cross. You are now to bear fruit in keeping with repentance, as Acts 26.20 20 tells us. It doesn't say work for your salvation. It doesn't say work at your salvation. It doesn't say work up your salvation. It says work out your salvation. Very clear in the Bible, salvation is not by works. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 tells us that very clearly, but it is unto good works. That's what Ephesians 2, 10 teaches us. The righteousness is by grace through faith in Christ, but work out, that word work out, you are to work out your salvation is a, is a present imperative. You are to do it and do it now. You are to continually do it, making the effort to work out your salvation. Now, this word, work out, always means to bring something to fulfillment, to completion, that your salvation needs to be bring out in, in fullness. There's effort, there's diligence. What you're doing is you're working out what's been planted within. It's like if you were working in a mine and you were extracting ore, gold ore, from the mine. It's down there, you've got to bring it out. It's, it's extracting the richness and the value of what's already there. Okay, so what that also means, first of all, I think this is obvious, but I'm going to say it. God wants and expects you to grow. So you can't say, well, Christians don't need to grow. First Peter 2, 2. Long for the pure milk of the word, that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Ephesians 4 says, grow up into all aspects, into him who is the head, even Christ. And second. Peter 3.18 says to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So we know God wants it and expects us to grow, but the idea of working out your salvation is that it would be brought to its completion, which means that you would be seeking its end result, which would be glorification. In fact, that is what Paul says in Philippians 3 and verse 14. He's been saying, look, I haven't attained it yet, but I press on towards the goal for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He's looking and straining for the glorification. But this is only half the story. So you've got the idea that we are to work out our salvation. That's only half the story. In fact, everything that happens, anything that's accomplished takes energy. You wash your car, that takes energy. You clean up your yard, that takes energy. So anything that happens, coming here today, you had to get ready. That took energy. Everything that happens takes energy. So the question is, what is the energy that brings about the growth? That's God's role. He is working in us to will and do his good pleasure. He is, he is at work. So you look at verse 13, and it's a different word for work. It's the word that we get our word energy from. It's energeo. It's, it, we get the word energy right from it. It means to effectively work, to bring something about. God is actively working to produce something in and through us. Do you see the picture there? If I could draw it, it would be like this. It would be like, God's here and he's working in us, therefore we, we work out our salvation. They're not parallel terms God is always God. We're always humans. Contrary to public opinion. So God's role is working in and he is doing so effectively and productively and he's putting forth his power in and through you. This is the idea. That the energy and the effective power of God is in action in your life. I just switched out a 
a light fixture in our house the other day with my son Michael, and um, we didn't turn off the electricity, and uh, everything's good. I'm here, right? And my hair is kind of curly, but it always has been. And uh, I didn't shock myself. I was very careful. But we, we, un- we unplugged the wires, put tape on them, then we plugged them back up. And, and the electricity flowing through that, we plugged it all. We did the work. We turned on the switch. It went on. But the, but the power th- didn't come from us. Does that make sense? So we did the work, but the power didn't come from us. Just like you're working out your salvation... All right, but the power comes from God. Remember when I used the um, the PVC pipe, the PVC uh, elbow, right? And God working through you—it's that kind of idea. I've got a whole bunch of those in the back of my car. If you want one, <laughs> so Colossians one twenty-seven. You you want to look this up? Colossians one twenty-seven and through twenty-nine says that to that God chose to make known. How great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Oh, praise God. Christ in us, the hope of glory. And then it says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And then Paul says, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that powerfully works within me. There's that picture. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 27 through 31. And Paul is saying, God chose the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, to shame the wise. And he chose what is weak in, in the world to shame the strong and chose what is low and despised, even things that are not, to bring things to, to, to nothing, things that are. And he says, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. If you're growing in Christ, you can't boast in the presence of God. You would always say, God is bringing this about. My cooperation. But it says this, and because of him, because of God, you are in Christ Jesus. Do you see that? Because of God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, Sophia from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that If you're going to boast, boast in him. He's our sanctification. And I think what this points out is that salvation is a sovereign act of God and and we have eternal security in Christ. But we also need to persevere. God is at work in you to will and do his good pleasure. He's given you eternal security and you need to persevere. If you're really saved, you're going to persevere. You're going to continue growing. You're going to continue going in Christ. You're going to continue doing what pleases Him. Is this making sense to you? Just nod. Just say, yes, I'm awake. I know it's a little bit humid today, isn't it? I know. It's like we're in the south or something. My, my nephew from, from Tennessee is with us. Maybe he brought it with him. I don't know. 2 Corinthians 6 says, working together with Him. We urge you, don't receive the grace of God in vain. See, God, God, that's right after God says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And then it says, and working together with him, don't receive the grace of God in vain. Don't say you're a believer and not live it. Paul says, they're going to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That doesn't sound very joyful, does it? I mean, fear and trembling doesn't sound very joyful, and this is a joyful letter. What's up with this? Fear and trembling means that you have a deep, overriding desire to please God. That literally, you have anxiety over not pleasing Him. It's like Joseph in in Genesis when he was confronted with a temptation and his answer was, how could I do this against God? With fear and trembling. By the way, no contradiction to the joyful tone of this letter. Christian joy is the gift of, of God to every believer, but also so is holy fear. Holy fear of God that trembles at the thought of sin. 
If we love sin, we don't love God. So Paul says, the power to obey this instruction is furnished by God himself who produces in believers both a desire to live righteously and the power to do so. Hey, that's good news, brothers and sisters. Isn't that good news? So you have the desire to do it, and God's not going to go, well, sorry, you want to do that, but I'm not going to let you. No, he's got, he gives you the desire to do it and the power. So you're going down into the mine and you're mining the gold that is already there. So what it's most simplest, sanctification is God plus you. You feeling a little out of balance here? Ooh, getting a little dizzy? It, it won't happen without God. There's no way in the world it will ever happen without God. But he is not going to do it without you. Okay? You're, all, you're never God. <laughs> He's always God. It's not going to happen without God. But he is not going to do it without your engagement and cooperation. Does that make sense? So this is what the scriptures show us. First Kings 8. Solomon is dedicating the temple. And he says, God, you, you gave us all this ability to, to do this. And then he prays, incline our hearts to yourself. That we might walk in your ways. Obedience. Second Peter 1.3 it says that God, by his divine power, has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. You go, well, Peter is a quietist. But then he says, now, because of that, apply all diligence, adding to your faith moral excellence and knowledge and self-control and kindness and love. What, is he a pietist now? No, it's both. It's both. God's given us everything, therefore work that out in your life. Let it be seen. Let it be shown. Not to highlight you, not to put the spotlight on you, but to magnify Jesus. First Peter, chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit. Spirit is sanctifying us for obedience to Jesus Christ. Work out your salvation. If you like definitions, I'm going to give you a, like a mouthful definition right now. So if you want to take notes, great. If not, just enjoy. What is sanctification? A supernatural, sovereign, internal work of God combined with regenerate man's focused, diligent effort utilizing God's ordained means Beholding God's glory resulting in increasing Christ-likeness. Now I want to fill in some gaps here. I want to fill in some gaps because Paul is talking about sanctification. I want to give you some background on it so you know what we're talking about and what we're not talking about. How does sanctification fit into the whole process of salvation? The whole redemptive picture, the larger picture of how God saves people. You've got hidden things going on, things that you can't see that God's doing. Election. God shows you before the foundation of the world. But then you hear the gospel. You can see that. You can hear that. Someone's preaching the gospel to you. Jesus died for your sins. He rose from the grave. Believe in the Lord Jesus. So you hear the gospel, and then God's doing a secret work, regeneration. He causes you to be born again to a living hope. Uh, you're, you're dead, and he makes you alive. But then you see conversion, someone coming to faith in Christ. You come to faith in Christ. And then there's the words we know pretty well, I think, justification and glorification. Justification is an instantaneous legal act of God where he declares you righteous on the basis of your faith in the shed blood of Christ. Every Christian should be so excited about this. Are you excited about this? I'm excited about it. I love this. A free, you're free from sin's penalty. And then there's glorification on the other end of the spectrum where you will ultimately have all sin removed from your life. We can't even imagine 
and you'll you'll be given a resurrection body. You will finally be free from sin's presence. What's been hounding you your whole life, what makes sanctification so tough, will be gone. No more sin, no more sadness, no more no more addictions, no more no more temptation. And then you get sanctification. That lifelong work of God and man. Oh, wouldn't we love it to be instantaneous? Instant sanctification. But it's a lifelong work of God and man where we are progressively made more like Christ and more free from sin. Because you're becoming free from sin's power. And if you're anything like me, you're thinking, uh, not me. I'm feeling the heat. I'm always feeling like I'm sinning. I, I don't think I'm getting progressively made more like Christ. No one's come up to me saying, you know you who you remind me of? Yeah. Jesus. You know, it's not happening all the time, and you're like, I don't know what's going on. Why can't they see? They need progressive glasses or something. I don't know. Um, But let me explain something about sanctification, okay? We're going to get real theological here. Uh, There's two kinds, and they both go together, but we've got to delineate them, okay? The first is positional sanctification. That's about your union with Christ, the sovereign work of God in bringing you to faith in Christ. That's the foundation, not the goal of sanctification. This is where a lot of contemporary spiritual formation ideas go very wrong. They, they, act, they, they say you need to seek union with Christ. You've already got union with Christ, believer. You need to dwell in it. You need to say, thank you, Jesus. So positional sanctification uh, depends on your justification. God claimed you as his own once for all. So you are holy in Christ positionally. And you're being made holy in Christ on the basis of his promise, not your efforts. And it's rooted in your election in Christ, which is the ultimate source of your sanctification. Jesus said in John 15, 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that would remain. So positional sanctification is the sovereign work of God but then there's progressive sanctification, which is growth in Christ, which is what Philippians 2, 12 and 13 is talking about. The spirit-led work of man. Progressive sanctification. And let me just say quite simply, sanctification is a beautiful gift that you should pursue with all your heart as a believer. But you put these two together. You've got to put the two together. That it's God's work and your work because... This is what the Bible is is teaching us. In in your practice, don't think that it is only God doing it and that you just sit there in your room all day long in a chair and don't move. And don't think that it's only you doing it like God just said, hey, I'll see you in heaven. You know, sail away. No. Believe the biblical balance that God gives us over and over again in his word that things just work out better when there's a biblical balance. We love the extremes because we feel like we're right and we get security in our extremes. But what I want to do, we have a few minutes left, and what I want to do is take a look at what it might look like in actual everyday life to practice these these things, to acknowledge the mystery of it, to embrace the tension of it, and to live unto God, knowing that God is at work in, in me, but I am to work out my salvation. How will you live if you're doing that? And to pursue God-given holiness. To do that, you need to be absolutely committed to some things. Absolutely committed to some very important things. Number one, God's word and prayer. Okay? And by the way, I'm going to give you four things that are going to spell out grow. Okay? I just want you to know this. Help you remember this. So the first one, G, God's word and prayer. You like that? Long for the pure milk of the word that you may grow in respect to salvation. But you don't want just all God's word and no prayer because you're going to start thinking you know everything. You don't want to just pray and not read the word because you're just going to get tossed about by every wind and wave of doctrine. So what you want is you want to be devoted to the word and prayer. For the past 33 years, being a believer, the majority of my days have had some time in the word and prayer. 
not every day. I'm not keeping a chart that I'm, you know, trying to keep up something on my own. But I, I would say this, it hasn't harmed me. And it was time well spent. And I wish it was more. I look back and I think, I, w- I wish I had spent more time in the word and prayer over these last 33 years. And by the way, I'm not saying, oh, just read the Bible and pray, you'll grow. Because you won't. It must be united with faith. You must be believing God and relying upon the Lord. And, and that's really the second thing. The second thing is R, rely on the Holy Spirit. You're in the Word and prayer, rely on the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying just read the Bible and pray and you'll grow. But I am saying this. If you don't read the Bible and pray, you won't grow. I don't know how many Christians I've run into... I'm not growing as a Christian. I really need to spend more time in the word and prayer. I just never do that. Rely on the Holy Spirit. You cannot do this alone. God is God. You are his instrument. You are his his tool. And, And number three, obey God. Obey God. Love the truth and live it daily. Do what God says. Obey by faith. Trust God and make wise choices based on his word. I'll tell you, God is more interested in your sanctification process than in your career, your accomplishments, your appearance, um, anything else that you spend so much time to attain and maintain. You look at Paul's life. You look at it in in chapter 3. He gives his resume. It's, It's stuff that... People congratulated him for power, prestige, all these things that people would kill for. And, and he says, compared to Christ, they're trash. Obey God. And, and fourth, W, worship God. Worship God. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, we uh, with unveiled faith, face are, are beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. God is transforming us as we look upon his word and as we dwell in the glories of Christ. And God's word in your life is going to reveal itself in the way you live, in your choices. If you are devoting yourself to the word of God in prayer and you're relying upon the Holy Spirit and you're obeying God and you're wanting to worship God, you want to be you want to be transforming your life. You want to worship God, an inner transformation of your whole self, a fundamental change in your character. It is going to show itself in your relationships, how you choose to relate to people, how you choose to talk, how you choose to act. It's going to re- show itself in your integrity, your level of honesty in matters of conscience. It's going to show itself in, in the media, how you wa- what you watch, what you post. It's going to show itself in the kind of music you listen to, what you allow to wash over your mind and flavor you. It is even going to reveal itself in the clothes you wear. How how modestly or immodestly you might present yourself and why. And I want you to know very clearly, I am not advocating a one-size-fits-all kind of spiritual growth system. I believe we should be striving for a biblically balanced view the sweet spot where growth can occur but it will not look the same in everyone's life but it will have the word of God and prayer it will have reliance upon the Holy Spirit it will have obedience to Jesus and it will have worship and by the way if you tend to think that rules are supreme you need to back off and rest in Jesus in the biblical indicatives what Christ has done for you and if you're on the other end of the spectrum, you, th- you tend to think rules don't matter at all. You need to take the biblical imperatives to heart. What Jesus says to do, you need to do. Look, I've always said pastors are weird. And I'm not going back on that. I still think it's true, totally true. We try to appear normal. We're, we're weird. But so are Christians. All Christians are weird. So now you're uncomfortable. Because we are bound to such extremes. And most of us would say, oh, I don't like extremes. But most of us, deep in our hearts, we love extremes. We find comfort in the extremes. 
We find security in the extremes because we feel like we're right. Don't get me wrong. You need to be extremely devoted to certain things. Number one, the Lord Jesus Christ. Extreme devotion to Jesus. The word of God and prayer and reliance upon him and worshiping him and obeying him. But do not be extremely devoted to a man-made system of sanctification. Your extreme devotion should rest in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to start to begin, yes, begin to bring the plane down for a landing. I'm venturing to guess that when Paul wrote this letter, there were some in that church that weren't so obedient. There were some in that church that weren't so strong. And there were some in that church that maybe weren't even interested. And maybe some were even dead. A lot like our modern day fellowships. Every gathering has a mix of those groups. You may be strong. There's one thing for you to say today. All praise to the Lord Jesus Christ. I've been saved by sovereign grace alone, through the gift of faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. By the grace of God, I am where I am today. But you may be proud. You may say, you know, I am well on my way because I am head and shoulders above all my peers, and I've been so good. I just have to say to you that God's going to crush your pride. You're going you're to fall because pride goes before destruction. But it could be, and this is probably the majority of us, you're feeling pretty weak. And you say, I don't know if I can even be sanctified because I've sinned too much and I've failed too often and, 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 and I've been too bad. Maybe you have a, this is an old school word, okay? Do you remember this word? Besetting sin. You know what that means? A sin that harasses you that, you, that you even obsess over because it has to do with giving in to temptation. But I think in the Christian community, this is where we get really weird. I think there are certain sins we really, really want to focus on. Abortion. Abuse. Addiction. Drugs. Alcohol. Pornography. Same-sex attraction. Some of you may have had an abortion or, or abused people or are addicted or, or you have same-sex attraction. I think Christians are so weird that we, we have socially accepted sins. Idolatry, greed, gluttony, gossip, and slander. We're kind of okay with those. Maybe you feel dirty, stained, violated, or injured. Maybe your heart is broken. Maybe you are on your last length of hope. A little sliver is left. Let me say this. We welcome all people to this church, and the most loving thing to do is to open our arms wide, and no matter what sin you are struggling with, no matter what, you are welcome here to do honest life with us and we we're going to do we'll do the most loving thing we're going to look in the bible and see what it says and line ourselves up to that because i will say this the church is capitulating to the culture left and right and christians must not capitulate to the culture and condone or celebrate things that god clearly says are wrong On the other hand, we must not condemn people for their sin. You may have done the most horrible things and, and you've asked God and other people to forgive you. And you still are going, I don't feel forgiven. And I'm just going to go out on a limb and say, that's actually a sign of health. Because when you had a hard heart, it didn't matter to you. God is faithful even when we are unfaithful 
And, and our sin leads to misery for us and others. But God's mercy alleviates the effects of sin. God's purposes for you are good and you are loved greatly and his grip on you is very firm even if yours is failing. God's going to comfort the weak and so must we. One last thing. The worship team's going to come up because otherwise no one's getting any donuts. <laughs> you might be dead. And nothing's going to happen unless God does a work in your heart to bring you from death to life. And by the way, maybe you came in here dead and somehow you feel like you woke up. Then you can respond to the gospel message. There is one sin that will keep you out of heaven and it's rejecting God's provision of a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You have done things you are ashamed of and we all have. And you're burdened by your sin because that means that God made you aware of your sinfulness. And so the good news that you can receive very quickly right now because you're there is that your sins were put on Jesus at the cross. And if you believe he died for your sins and you accept his death on your behalf in your place and you trust his shed blood, you'll be saved. I hope you let the words sink into your soul like water on dry ground. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were by nature children of wrath. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Lord God, I pray that you would call the dead to life. And I pray, Lord, that you would call us all to action with this word of assurance regarding sanctification is what we need, that we would be actively and engagingly, joyfully and confidently in you pursuing the holiness you give, not to think of ourselves in any way higher than we should, but to think of you as high as possible. And we thank you that you will use everything at your disposal to make us more like Christ. Thank you that you who began a good work in us will bring it to completion. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.